Everybody get a quarter and take it out of your pocket and put it in your hand for a second. I'm going to give you an illustration. Or a dime, or a nickel, or a penny. Anyone you want to have. Amen. I almost bought a silver dollar. It was 1893 I had in my office, and I forgot it. I love series, and I don't like special day sermons. I'm going to tell you why. It stresses me out. Because I got so much to preach, I don't even know where to start. And when I'm preaching verse by verse, I'm just relaxed and just preach what verse comes up. But uh, I got so many verses that if I preach them all, uh, the ice cream will melt before Wednesday. Amen? By the way, we got five ladies bringing apple pies, and that's figuratively. If you want to bring a fig pie or a moon pie or whatever pie, that'd be fine with me. Uh, just a pie, yeah, and we're going to have dessert. And eat before you come to church. We ain't got time to cook out, okay? Uh, a lot of people, oh, why don't we just have some sandwiches and then they want to enlarge it to the, let's have cookout, we got a new grill, let's use it. I, nope. Eat at home and just have dessert, amen? And we're not going to have homemade ice cream because nobody likes to make it, but everybody likes to eat it. So we'll have store-bought ice cream provided by the church and we'll have a good fellowship. And some of you ladies can make your famous cobblers. Uh, they'll be happy they attended. Now, I don't know if the fireworks start Wednesday night or Thursday night. <laughs> Who, who's uh, up on current events in this town? Anybody know? Nobody knows. But I said something very, very, what is it? Oh, it's Thursday. Okay, I don't have to worry about it then. I thought y'all all wanted to go to the fireworks and nobody wanted to eat, so I was going to say this, eat and then go to the fireworks. You So I thought you said not to go because of the rock and roll concert. Hey, sit across the street. That's what me and Connie do. We just have lounge chairs, sit over there on the other side of the bypass. And I love fireworks. I just despise rock and roll music. I think it's of the devil. Amen? I really do. A country too. Don't get me started. And I ain't going to sit in no concert, not, not as a Christian. I ain't going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. But I'll sit across the street, smile while the fireworks go off. Amen? That's Thursday, so I don't have to worry about it. So uh, ladies, please uh, sign up for fig pie or uh, prune pie, whatever you want to get. Don't go there. Amen? Uh, uh Apple pie and ice cream's American. Say amen. Praise God. And we'll put a big screen TV and watch the Braves back there. I don't care. No, not really. We, we ain't going to do that. But um, I ain't going to preach against the Braves. They're winning. But I want you to know this. Uh, we're going to have a good time. And if it's five people and five apple pies, more the merrier. Amen. I mean, more apple pie. Amen. So we'll just have a good time. And I should have planned it earlier and announced it. But, you know, y'all either going to come or you're not. And... Uh, and some of, somebody will make an apple cobbler. Did I already say that? A peach cobbler. Uh, and we put a little ice cream on top of it. Uh, we'll leave happy. We'll, we'll leave happy. Amen. And uh, I'll be finished preaching by 8. We'll have a little dessert. Have a good time. We'll shoot some fireworks. I got uh, five boxes of sparklers on my dash left over from my son-in-law bar in my truck. Sparklers. You just hold them up. Shh, you know, that'll be the extent of it. Amen. Unless Armin wants to go all out finance this house and buy more fireworks, amen? But I wouldn't waste my money, amen? Go up here to the, let the whirly crowd do it, amen? City of Dalton. <laughs> Sit across the street. We'll be over there right by the, um, uh, I don't know what's over there, but there's some buildings and nice grass, and we'll have a good time if you want to join us. Okay, uh, turn to Psalms 33 and verse 12 to start. Um. I believe our nation's in big trouble. I really believe that. And Psalms 33, verse 12, is our only hope. And I appreciate our nation. I'm not down on our nation. I think it's still the greatest nation. If you don't like it, go over and live in Iraq. Uh, but, um, friend, it's, it's a great nation, and I'm glad I'm American. But uh, let's stand on the Word of God. And I want to show you what we ought to get back to. And I'll preach this uh, probably Wednesday. It says um, in verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord, Psalms 33, you with me? Psalms 33, it says, For the word of the Lord is right. Amen? Let's stop right there and shout a little bit. If you're a shouter, just don't pout. It says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment, 
And the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. I just think about the way the United States began. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together in a heap. He layeth up the depths of the storehouse. And here it is. Let all the earth fear the Lord. There used to be a time where we feared God. In God we trust liberty on every coin. Every coin. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. I wish we could say America stands in awe of Him. That we really stand in awe of who He is. I don't believe America in general does that. And it grieves me. For He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of the heart to all generations. To all generations. And here it is. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. And then skip on down to verse um, 21 and 22. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we trusteth in his holy name. Let thy mercies, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Notice that. We trust in his holy name. Somebody must have trusted in his holy name because every coin I picked up, and I examined every one of them that I had this afternoon, it says liberty on the top of this quarter. Then it says in God we trust. That's every Every coin. I don't even know what a dollar bill says. It probably says goodbye. I don't know what it says. But I know this. These coins say in God we trust. And it says liberty. So somewhere along the line, our country started right. But today, it's not right. And we need to get a burden for America. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for beginning this nation. I believe that you birthed this nation. I believe you miraculously sustained the birth of this nation. And dear God, I thank you. I thank you, dear God, for our history. It's a history that's been try- that they're trying to do away with. They're trying to uh, uh, still it. But dear Lord, it's still our history. And God, we pray that we'd get back to it. And God, that we would realize our nation began with one goal. And that goal was to worship you. So Lord, please God, help us as we preach a few minutes on our heritage, but God, on our hope as a nation. And We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard of a little boy who came to his mother and he said, Mama, remember that beautiful vase that's in the foyer? That vase that has been handed down from generation to generation. Mama remembered that vase Remember that vase? She said, yes. And the little fellow said, well, this generation just dropped it. <laughs> Amen. And I, I believe that with all my heart, this generation has dropped it. My generation, and I'm an older generation, has dropped it. And I believe in the last 50 years, and I believe it really started about 50 years ago, there was a movement in America with all the baby boomers and all that, to turn America back to self and to turn America back to humanism and to turn America back not to communism like the early 50s when I was born, but to turn it back to uh, we don't need God, uh, we can do without you God, we're our own God. And I believe with all my heart America's got a spiritual history But a lot of people don't know about it. And I want to give you just a little bit of it. And I got pages of it. The revisionists today who want to take away the history. There's Grinches that not only want to steal Christmas, they also want to steal the 4th of July. Let me tell you a little bit about American history. You know, the day that we celebrate this Thursday, July 4th, 1776, when they signed in Philadelphia the Declaration of Independence from Britain, which marked the birth date of our nation. 
Uh, never fail to remember this. Our forefathers were not only declaring independence from Britain, they were declaring, and plainly they declared it, a dependence on Almighty God. Now get this. They were declaring dependence from Britain, independence, but they were declaring dependence from Almighty God. Uh, and I don't think we ought to let secularists and humanists and revisionists steal that away. I believe we need to hold to our heritage. Uh, Declaration of Independence that we celebrate today, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That we don't quiver about this, that all men were endowed by their what? Creator. Creator. Uh, not some monkey, not some evolutional protoplasm. Um, uh, <clears throat> uh, we were created by and endowed by our Creator. You know, they can't teach creation in school. And I wonder how they can teach the Declaration of Independence in school. All men are endowed by their Creator. By their Creator were certain inalienable rights. That's the way they began, and that's a, cert a certain and wonderful beginning. I thank God for our heritage. But I think about the closing of this Declaration of Independence. It says this, a firm reliance on the protection of of divine providence. Did you hear that? It said a firm reliance upon the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other <clears throat> our lives, our portion, our sacred honor. And they say we depend upon God. We rely upon God, uh, not just in a decoration, but in the, 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 the deity of God, the divine endowment of God. Our Declaration of Independence declares the sovereign God is man's creator. That's what the Declaration of Independence says. The creator gives us rights, not the government. The government is not, to, uh, not her to, uh, here to provide our rights, but to protect them. Say amen. They're like a politician. But I want to say this. I'm more than that. I'm a preacher. Those 56 men that signed the Declaration, they paid the price with their lives. Five were captured by the British and tortured for signing the Declaration of Independence. Twelve had their homes sacked and looted and burned uh, or occupied by the enemy. Two gave their sons who died fighting. One had two sons captured and nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardships and, and uh, from bullets. Uh, these men were not poor, ignorant men. They were men of wealth, of education, of culture. But they pledged their lives, their fortune, their sacred honor. that We might have this place called United States of America today. There's a cost to freedom. There's a cost for our liberty. There is a nation that believes in God so much they put in God we trust on the coins. I guarantee you there's a movement to get this off. I don't know about it, but I guarantee you there is. Just like there's a movement to kill babies. There's a movement to have anything reference to God put out. And folks, I'll give you the history of that. And it's shocking uh, how this took place in the 60s. I was in elementary school then. Uh, and we let it happen. Um, I want to give you the facts. But I want to give you a little history too. In, 19, in 1778, um, James Madison, who was the architect of the federal constitution, and the fourth president said this. I want you to listen to this very closely. We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government. Far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves and to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Now, did you hear that? They didn't say uh, anything about self-sustaining. They said we'll be sustained by the Ten Commandments. And folks, today the Ten Commandments are outlawed in the classroom. Madison, we stake everything on this, that we're going to be governing ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. That's the man that wrote most of the Declaration of Independence or Dependence, I call it. On April 30th, 1789, George Washington, you ever heard of him? Who we say is the father of our country, at his first inaugural address, said this, 
And I quote, My fervent supplication, prayer, to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the council of the nations, who providentially aids, can supply every human defect that his benediction may concentrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States. A government instituted by themselves these essential purposes. And then Washington went on to say, we ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation, listen now, that disregards the eternal rules and order and rights which heaven itself has ordained. What a president. You know what he was saying? He said, we've got to depend on God. We've got to depend on God. And folks, something happened. Uh, something happened in our, in our, our country. It breaks my heart. Um, let me just give you real quick. President Woodrow Wilson said America was born to exemplify the devotion to the elements of righteousness which are der derived from the Holy Scriptures. That's 1930. Those are the good old days. Now, I don't want to go back to those days, but I'm going to tell you something. America was godly in 1930, even though we were broke. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where are all these, are these men fools or fanatics? No, we look at the founding fathers, and no wonder in March 1931, the United States adopted the Star-Spangled Banner as our anthem. And I love the fourth stanza. We ought to sing that sometime. It says, Great is the power that has made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause it is just. And this be our motto, and God is our trust. That's the national anthem. In God we trust. I wish all these liberals and protesters that are angry and wicked with their agenda of selfishness and, and abortion. And I wish they'd, they'd realize what our country was founded on, who our country was founded on. Um, in July 19, uh, 1956, a very good year and a very good Chevrolet, the Congress, by a joint resolution of Congress, adopted a bill providing the national motto to be in God we trust. All of these things that was our national hymn tells us, Our Father God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing, Lord, may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might. Great God our King. They're not saying King George or any other king or any other president was their king. They said God is our King. But what happened? What happened? Patrick Henry said this, give me liberty or give me death. Now this generation is saying, give me liberty. Then the next generation says, just give me. And folks, Patrick Henry said something else too. He said, it cannot be emphasized too often or too strongly that this nation was founded by, not by religionists, but by Christians. Not only uh, on religion, but on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! Give me liberty, give me death was good. Patrick Henry had a good horse, I heard. But I want to tell you something, he had a good God, and he had a good foundation. Folks, we ought to get back to it. Say amen. I believe with all my heart that this nation was founded on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if a president said that today, CNN and everybody else would write him up and say he's lost his mind, he's a fanatic, he's pushing his agenda on us, and we've got to protest. Well, let them protest. It's still the truth. And folks, I want to tell you something. In the old days, even the schools were great. The New England Primer in 1795, it's not too many years after the uh, Constitution, Declaration of Independence, they learned to read this way. A, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of her mother. B, 
Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble therewith. See, coming to Christ, all ye that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. D, do not the abominable thing that I hate, saith the Lord. Some way to memorize the ABCs, but they were biblical ABCs. It's the alphabet from God. Uh, some of the lessons that they learned was who was the first man in, the, in school? Who was the first woman? Who was the first murderer? Who was the first martyr? What's the word translate mean in, in, in Genesis? Uh, who's the oldest man in the Bible? Who built the ark? Um, who was a patient man that suffered and lost almost everything? Sounds like a Sunday school lesson, but it was a public school curriculum. First grade book. What is the first commandment? What's the fifth commandment? What's the sixth commandment? What, uh, what's, the, uh, what's, the, uh, uh, what's required uh, and forbidden in the sixth commandment? You say, oh, that, that's just a little elementary, backwoods, one-room school. Well, let me tell you something. John Q. Adams, at age 14 years of age, was under that system of education. He received a congressional diplomatic appointment overseas to the captain of great he was a diplomat to Russia at age 14. And John Quincy Adams said this, the highest glory of American revolution has this, that it is connected in an indissolvable bond with the principles of Christianity. John Jay, the original Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, said this, Providence was given to our people, the choice of the rulers, and it is the duty of, as well, our own privilege and interest of a Christian nation to select and prefer Christians as our rulers. Amen. Told you how to vote. Vote for Christians. George Washington, in his farewell speech, this has been out of the books for 40 years now. It's censored. It's taken out of the song books, the textbooks. He said this on his farewell speech. Do not let anyone claim to be a true American. Don't let them claim the tribute of American patronism if they ever attempt to remove religion from politics. If they do that, they cannot be called a true American. Woo! Thank God. Our founding fathers uh, they, they designed our Constitution. Um, they, they took the three branches of government as I shared in the prayer room out of Isaiah chapter 33, I believe it is, verse, verse 12, about the king, and about the judge, and about the lawgiver. The three branches of government. That's the greatest balance checks that you'll ever experience. In the last 200 years, there's been seven different forms of government in France. In the last uh, 200 years, there have been 48 forms of government in Italy. We still got the same government. I'll tell you why. It came from the Word of God, the justice system, the judicial, the executive, the king. And then the lawgiver, the legislator, they all should balance each other. But where do these founding fathers get their ideas to cause them to last so long? When other contemporary nations have went down the drain. Well, a political science professor in the University of Houston, this is so fascinating to me, felt he could collect the writings of the founders, then he could discern the founding fathers' ideology, their philosophy in life. So they collected 15,000 writings of the family of the Finding Fathers. And to that, they boiled it down to 3,150 writings. This took 10 years in the University of Houston. They felt it was a significant impact uh, on the founding of America. And um, it took them 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, they had found that three men quoted more often in American history was Blackstone, Montesquieu, and John Locke. But what they found that was that surprised them, now listen, that they saw quoted 
and referred to by Blackstone and more than 16 times more than uh, Montesquieu and 16 times more than John Locke was quotes by the founding fathers from the Word of God. See, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Our foundation was right. It was based on righteousness. It was based on not only as Isaiah 33, verse 22, write that down later, uh, balance of government. Folks, the idea of separation of, of church and state, all to protect the church, not to protect the, the nation, went down the drain. Because in 1892, uh, the law of the great Supreme Court uh, began to make a statement. And this statement was this, our laws and institutions must necessarily be based on and must include the teaching of the Redeemer of mankind. The Supreme Court said that. He said this, It is impossible for it to be otherwise in the sense and in this extent our civilization, our institutions are emphatically Christian. Supreme Court said that in 1892. And they gave 87 different historical precedents. I know this is born as history class to some of you. Young people are turning me off right now saying, Good night. But this is good history. And this is history you ought to cherish. And this is history you ought to know. And 87 different historical presidents, they got to the end of 87, and the court finally said, all the justices said, hey, listen, we could keep on going for a long, long time, but I believe 87 is sufficient to say our laws and institutions must be based on and include the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's shouting grounds for me. 1892. Well, in 1844, there was a school in Philadelphia that said, we're going, we're, we are going to teach our children and, uh, and young people morality, but we don't need religion or the Bible to teach them morality. We can teach them morals without religion, such as orthodox position in the time of the founders. Of this case made the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court told the school in Philadelphia, Yes, you are going to teach your students morality. And the truest principles of morality ought to be taught and are found in the Word of God. He said, whoever searches for the principles of morality must go to the same source where a Christian man derives his faith and his morality. You have to go to the Bible. They put them in their place. 1844. Eighteen eleven, they made, the Supreme Court said this: What's, whatever strikes the, at the root of Christianity tends to strike at the root of civil government. In the case, they dealt with a man who really got a right, irate, and when he, he got a right, he went into a profanity fit. And profanity was uh, was not the problem, but he said that he got uh, profane. Not only that, he said that he has written it all; uh, he distributed it, and he said that. Um, he said that Jesus Christ is this and God is this and the Bible is this and he was, he was negative and it went, the, the, the thing went all the way to the court and the court said that's blasphemy. And the problem with blasphemy is that you have attacked Jesus Christ, you have attacked Christianity, you have attacked Christianity, you have attacked the foundations of the United States of America. So you're going to jail, bozo. That's exactly what they said. The attack on Jesus Christ is equivalent to the attack on the United States. He got three months in prison and $500 fine for attacking the United States because he went after Jesus. Amen. Today, they would, he'd go to the Supreme Court and probably win it and be a hero and they'd write him up on every newscast that he had enough guts to stand against the status quo. What happened? I'm just going to give you what happened. I'm going to skip right to it because I don't want to bore you. I don't want to keep you past 7.30. And folks, it all started in 1802 when Jefferson addressed a group of Danbury Baptists. In his address, he said, the First Amendment was erected as a wall of separation of church and state. And that the wall is a one directional wall, it keeps the government from running the church. 
but it assumes that Christian principles will always stay in the government. The definition of the First Amendment was protect the church from the government. But in uh, 1853, petitions wanted separation of Christians. They flipped it, and they took out of context Madison's quote about separation of church and state, and since then we've had an attack from hell. Attack from hell on the church. And folks, listen, there is no way on this earth that we, uh, he, was, he was saying that we need to be separated, that our foundation is based on our root system. And, and folks, it, uh, it was challenged in the 1890s. Reynolds versus the United States went back and pulled out Jefferson's speech in its entirety. And yes, Jefferson did say that there was separation of church and state, but that it was to protect the church from government. And Jefferson said the Christian principle is this, we're not going to have a one uh, religion covering all the United States. You're free to worship the way you want to worship. And folks, in 1947, the first time in court history, only eight words was taken out of Jefferson's speech, and this changed everything in 1947. Everything. Emerson versus the Board of Education, the first minute was erected as a wall of separation between church and state, the wall must be kept high and impregnable, they, they ruled. That was the first time it had been reversed in American history. And since then, our nation has went down the tubes. It breaks my heart. They didn't take the Bible out of context. They took our founders out of context, but they were really taking the Bible out of context. 1962, the case Engle versus Vital. Here's 62. Some of y'all were in elementary school with me. Some of y'all wasn't born yet. The first time in American history that we had the ruling that separated Christian principles from education and Christian principles from government. And there was a case that removed prayer from the school. The World Book of Encyclopedia, the next year, 1963 World Book, said this said it was the first time that it had separation of church and state in the opposite direction of what the founder intended. In the case in 1962 to remove school prayer was interesting in several aspects. Remembering the case in, of 1892, 87 presidents, historical events, the rule that we were a Christian nation, they could have went on and on and on, but they said, hey, listen, we are a Christian nation based on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in 1962, not one president, not one legal case, not one historical incident. They just made an announcement. We will not have prayer in school anymore because it violates the Constitution. Without a historical legal base, a brand new direction in America began in 1962. In 1963, June 17, 1963, the case called Abington School District versus Colette. The court removed prayer. The court removed Bible reading. The court removed religious classes. And the court removed religious instruction. Abington School District versus Shemp. That's a radical change from 1946. Because in 1946, you could not graduate high school, public high school, without a Bible course. Amen. Give me 1946 education. And so 62 to 63 radical reversals of everything that was holy in our society was just ruled out. The Bible was outlawed. This Abington School District versus Shemp in 1963, this is what they said in, in their ruling. And I'll close with this and get to just a few verses. It says, our, if portions of the New Testament were read without explanation, it could be and had been psychologically harmful to our children. They ruled that. The United States of America, founded on, with no legal or historical event, and folks, it all started with a 22-word prayer. I want to give you the prayer that got prayer kicked out of school. Here it is. 
We, Almighty God, acknowledge our dependence upon Thee. We beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Amen. In prayer, we acknowledge God. It didn't even mention Jesus, just acknowledge God. This prayer acknowledged God one time. Our Constitution acknowledges God four times. The court said in 1963, only 3% of the nation professed not to believe in God. 97% of the nation believed in God. But the court sided with 3%. 3% became the majority. And they overruled the philosophy of the 97%. How did that happen? And folks, I want to tell you something. The things that they prayed for has been under a curse. Let me just give them to you real quick in closing. It says, we almighty God acknowledge our dependence upon thee. The students have been under attack when they kicked that prayer out. Folks, if there's ever a time that a student in a public school needed to acknowledge they need God, it's today. There's been more shootings, more murders, more terrible crimes. There have been bathroom debates today on letting some transgender go into the wrong bathroom in public schools. Teachers are under attack. Folks, listen, the students have been under attack since they kicked that prayer out. And then it said, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents. Folks, the family, the family, since that prayer was kicked out of our school, has been under constant attack. And our nation, our church, our community is no stronger than the families that live therein. And folks, if you, don't, if you don't know it or not, our families are, are, are blowing apart. I wish I knew another good word, but they're, they're disintegrating. The family unit, it's, it's single mamas and single daddies that are raising children. And folks, the children are broken. And folks, broken homes create broken children. Broken children create broken homes. Broken homes create broken children. And it's a it's a cycle. It's not irreversible. God can reverse it. God can intercept your life. But I want to tell you something, friend. I have never seen a day where families are under such attack. And families are so depressed. And families are not lasting. And marriage is not lasting. One out of two marriages in Dalton don't make it. Why? Maybe God said, okay, I'll let you have it your way. You kick the prayer out saying, our parents, I'll let you see what you can do without me. That's sad. That's sad. If you lived in a broken home, you know how sad it is. You know how depressing it is. You know how lifeless it is. You know how uh, confusing it is. You don't know what, what, you, you don't know what home you're going to be in next. Folks, I tell you what, it's sad, not only single mamas and single daddies, but there's a generation in our country today that have neither mama or daddy because they're both drug heads in jail. Amen? I mean, they're gone. And then there's some, they're not in jail, they're just so full of hell and full of self and full of drugs, they don't even want their children. And so the state's raising them. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. I don't care if you get $22 a day, there is nobody like a mom and daddy, and every foster child longs to get back with his mama. I just spent a, a couple of days with one now that said, I just wish my mama would show up to court when we go. I just wish mama cared enough to want me back. It's his cry of heart. He's nine-year-old, little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy. He just wished his mama loved him enough to stay off drugs long enough to get him back. 
And he loves being in my daughter's home. He loves Trent. He loves that he's going to be adopted by him. But I want to tell you something. There ain't no love like a child's love for their mama. And mamas don't care anymore. And daddies don't care anymore. And it might be it all started when our nation said, okay, we can't even pray for the parents and the kids can't even pray in the schools. What in the world is it going to happen to the next generation? And then it said, we pray for our teachers. Folks, a lot of teachers are not godly today. And they're so full of themselves, and they're so immature, they need to be in school. And they need about five or six paddlings. I mean adult teachers, amen? The craziest group you've ever seen. Some of you are good teachers, you work with them, and you say, my word, why don't they grow up? They show up looking like a teenager, worse than a teenager. They ain't got a clue. They just got their degree and they're going to philosophize in the classroom and they're going to try to sway everybody with their liberal opinions. And folks, I want to tell you something. Some of our kids are being brainwashed by a bunch of grown-up brats. What do you think the next generation of teachers are going to be? Thank God for you godly teachers. Hang in there. Be the salt. Be the light. But you know some of your, uh, uh, I can't say companions, some of you, uh, your fellow laborers or workers, uh, they need to grow up. And Maybe God said, okay, you want to be by yourself, teachers? I'll just withdraw my power and blessing on this school. And then it said our country. And I'll just close by saying this, friend. All four categories have been under attack, and I think America's under attack. 1962, the court took out prayer. 1963, the court took out Bible reading. 1965, um, there was a prayer in lunch at school. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. And he says, you can pray. The rooting was, as long as no one knows you're praying and you can't say any words and you can't even move your lips. I want to tell you something, friend. As long as there's tests, there's going to be prayer in school. Say amen. I know I had to pray every time I took a test. Dear God, help me, you know. 1967. Where was I in 67? I was a sophomore in high school. DeKalb versus Espan. I was from DeKalb County. so this, And here's a court, took a four-line nursery rhyme all the way to Supreme Court. Used by a 5K kindergarten class. The court said it was unconstitutional. A nursery rhyme was unconstitutional. And they said this, even though the word God is not contained in the nursery rhyme, they said if someone were to hear it, they might think it was talking about God. And that would be unconstitutional. And that would be unconstitutional. 1980, I'll close with this one. I'll just keep closing. And that's why I'm glad I stay with the series and not have to preach on America every year or every week. 1980, the case went all the way to the Supreme Court said that the Ten Commandments could not be displayed in the halls of schools. The court said it is a passive display, just like a picture of Washington or Jefferson. But um, Stone B. Graham versus Kentucky, it said the court has any effect at all. Um, it said that the student must, could read them, the Ten Commandments, and they might meditate on them, and if they meditated on them, they might respect them, <clears throat> and then they might obey them, and that would be unconstitutional. Unconstitutional. Our founding fathers gave up everything they had for our Constitution. James Madison said this, we stake our whole future, our whole future, not on the power of government. He said the future of America is not on the new document referring to the Constitution of the United States. We stake the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity for each and every one of them to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. Amen. James Madison just became my new hero. Teenage pregnancy, divorce, abortion, 
legalized, 1973. 4,000 precious babies a day die in the United States of America on the altar of convenience. I don't want this baby to interfere with my career, so let's slaughter it. Since 1963, the divorce rate has tripled. Schools, SAT scores are plummeted. It'll go on and on and on. Folks, read our text, Psalms 33. We've got to get back by the word of the Lord, verse 6, the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. God's breath. Listen to this. Verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. Amen. He commanded and it stood still. Take that, evolutionist. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. A lot of heathens out there spewing their philosophy. It makes me sick. It makes me absolutely sick. And they get all the headlines and they get all the TV time. It says, He maketh the devices of the people to none effect. Here it goes now. This is our only hope. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Would you open your Bible and look at verse 13? Psalms 33. It says, The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men. We need to pray that God would look once again on America. And folks, you're the only hope of God. If my people which call by my name, the seed, the salt, the light, the remnant, you're not many, but praise God, don't recant and go join them. Look at verse 14. From the place of inhabitants, he looketh upon the inhabitants of the earth. We need the look of heaven, not the look of hell. We don't need the look of each other, and we don't need the look of the world. But look at verse 15. He fashions their hearts alike, he considers all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of hosts. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. We think we're something because we're the greatest nation in the world. But we're nothing without God. Look at, look at this now. A horse is a vain thing for safety, neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that, what? Fear him. America, fear him. America, reverence him. America, adore him. Is my cry and my plea. Upon them that hope in his mercy. We need to pray for mercy. Look at verse 19. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Oh, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. And then here it is. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. I believe we're at the point as a nation that we have dropped the, we have dropped the ball, we have dropped the vase, so to speak. But we need to get back to thinking about how we started, how we were blessed, and then how we went so wrong and let it happen. And our hope's not in politicians. Our hope is not in the next election. Our hope is not even in conservative Supreme Court judges, we find out they can be fickle too. Our hope is in God. And I think that we're at the point where we need as a church to pray for mercy or judgment's coming. And I'll tell you something, friend. As I heard Billy Goosby preach, he's going to preach the first week in August here again. He's 83 years old and still preaching hard. He said, the Lord is coming. and Boy, is he hot. Amen. I mean, he's not coming pleased with America. and He's not coming pleased with this world. The world's worse than America. Say amen right there. They're totally heathen. Iran, Iraq, and all those other racks. Pitiful. They might blow the world up next, next week. You don't know. They might put us in another war. They have no conscience. North Korea, crazy man. 
But I want to tell you something, friend. The United States started right. The United States was blessed because they were right. They stood in awe of God. And today America's lost its blush. We're not embarrassed about anything. But we as God's people should humble ourselves. We ought to pray for mercy. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for getting through this difficult message. I've been struggling with it all day. I really want to make everybody happy and pleased and excited about the Lord, you. But God, we got to face the backs. If we're ever going to turn from our wicked way, we've got to find out how wicked we really are as a nation. And so, dear God, help us not compromise. God, the world's coming into the church instead of the church getting in the world and being a witness. God, what really disturbs me in these last days is we've not only got a lukewarm church, we've got a, we've got a church that's brought the world in and there's no difference. And people are flocking to that place, those places. The fastest growing church in every city is those that are bringing the world in and attracting people by worldly means and God, you never intended the church to be that way. It should be a sanctified, separated people that call upon your name and turn from their wicked ways and humble ourselves. And then, God, you said you'd forgive us and that you would heal our land. And, God, that you would be attentive to the prayers made in this place. And, God, I don't want anything to interrupt the prayer life of this church. So God, help us first to repent. And God, help us to be concerned about our nation to pray for. Our president, our legislative branch, and our judges. That you so wonderfully set up from Isaiah 33, verse 22. And preserved over these nation, over these years. A great nation. But God, we've went a long ways from your intended purpose. Now we can't even pray in the schools. We can't display the Ten Commandments. We can't even recite a nursery rhyme that refers to God. Oh God, have mercy upon America.